a savior, a gentle savior we have. Amen? As they hand out their handouts, the sermon entitled this morning is The Priesthood of All Believers. The Priesthood of All Believers. This morning, I invite you to turn with me to our opening text. It's found in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. And this morning, we're going to be going through. Um, I call it a deep Bible study. We're going to be going more into the Bible and you're going to have to really pray to God for, your, for wisdom and understanding and the Holy Spirit and really concentrate hard. Like we're in a class this morning, beloved. We're back in school this morning, amen? So we're going to go into some Old Testament and New Testament and bring it together um, in the end. So there's some texts that we're going to go through and study together as a family of God in our family school this morning. In the sermon entitled, The Priesthood of All Believers, from the series, a new series, The Mystery of God Revealed, the my- I'm, the, I'm sorry, The Mystery of God Finished, The Mystery of God Finished. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Now in the Old Testament, do you remember, to be a priest in the Old Testament was a very high calling, you remember? The wardrobes, we're going to study that in the future more so. For these priests were considered to be vessels of God's light and power to a chosen nation. And it was then, as it was then, so is it now today. For to be a minister in God's church today is considered to be a very high calling, is it not? But what the Bible teaches this morning, beloved, and this is often true about a lot of things, what the Bible teaches and what is commonly being believed and taught today is completely different. Is that not true? Do you not see that? For the Bible teaches that there is something called a priesthood of all believers. You ever heard of that before? In other words, every single member is a minister of God. But unfortunately today, most professed Christians, and I use that word professed, Christians today believe that they can't do hardly anything at all. Is that not true? And the reason why, they, why this is so is because they're not able to do hardly anything at all is because they believe that they can't really do hardly anything for God at all. So as we study the lineage of the holy priest this morning, the priesthood, may we be able to see the great love that God has for us and the great things he has in store for us this morning. For eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has entered into our hearts the things which God has prepared for every single one of you here this morning. Let us pray. Father, as your word is open, we do humbly ask that you may enlighten our minds. May our clouded minds from the dark lies of Satan be dispelled by the light of the truth of your goodness. Is our humble prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at the priesthood. Look at the Old Testament priesthood first. And then we're going to go to the New Testament. Genesis 8.20 Who after the flood performed the priestly office of building an altar and offering sacrifices. Look at Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Let's see what the Bible 
had to say, not what I have to say, what the Bible has to say this morning. The Bible says, Genesis chapter 8, 20 says, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord. So Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and he took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So after the flood, there was only eight people that survived that flood, remember? And of all these eight people, who was it that had been given the command by God to build the altar and to offer a sacrifice or to lead out in the spiritual worship of that family? Who was it according to the Bible? Noah. So according to the Bible, after the flood, in earliest times, it was the father who was the priest of his own household. So the father was the priest of his own house. What happened next? Turn to Genesis chapter 27, same book, but verse 27 as we go in our Bible study this morning. And this Bible is in the pews, by the way, in front of you. We don't have one. Genesis chapter 27, verse 36 and 37. What happened to the priesthood when families joined together now as, cl as a clan? You know, there was a family back then, but they became a clan leader. And what happened to this priesthood and um, at this time, the birthright. Look at verse chapter 27, verse 36. The Bible says, and he said, this is Isaac. And he said, I'm sorry, this is um, Esau saying, is not he rightly named Jacob, his brother? Remember he stole the birthright, the blessing? Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times, deceived me. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing, and he said, has thou not reserved a blessing for me? Talking to his dad. Do you have another blessing for me? And Isaac his father answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy what? Master. Another person says Lord with small letters. And all of his brethren have I given to him for servants. In other words, I made you master or Lord. Now Lord is not different from the word kings. It's referring to the Kings is referring to the, to the secular world, but Lord is referring to the spiritual world. In other words, he's your spiritual master, your spiritual leader. And by the way, it's different from the word capital L, capital R, capital R, capital D. Remember that in the Bibles? That's referring to Jehovah God. This is lowercase L-O-R-D, right? So it's referring to Lord, master, a spiritual leader. So the spiritual leadership was passed on to the birthright. The next in the priesthood was passed down to the firstborn. Esau was supposed to get it, but Jacob stole that birthright right from the firstborn. So the spiritual leadership was passed on. First of all, it began in earliest times with the father of the home was the priest. Then the sacred priesthood, this holy priesthood, was then passed on to the firstborn of the home. Do you see that? So we're going to succession. So what happened next? Let's go to Numbers in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers chapter 3, verse 5. I'm going to go to 7 and 12 as we continue to study from the Bible what is this priesthood. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 3, verse 5 and then to 7. Numbers chapter 3, verse 5. And it says, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, this is at Mount Sinai now, bring the tribe of who? Levi near. And present him before Aaron, the what? 
priests, that they may minister unto him, and they shall keep his charge and the charge of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of the congregation to do the service of the tabernacle. Verse 12, And I, behold, I have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of the, what? Firstborn that opened the matrix, the womb, among the children of Israel. Therefore, the who? Levites shall be mine. So we start off with this, the father was the priest of the home. The next step was the firstborn. And then God himself said, instead of the firstborn now, I'm going to have those of the tribe of Levi. So the Levites took over the priesthood. Do you see that? Instead of the firstborn. Do you see that? And they shall be priests like Aaron is a priest. And that's what God said. According to the law of commandments or ordinances that was passed down on Mount Sinai, he gave the Ten Commandments and then he gave the law of commandments of ordinances to Moses. And this is what God was saying. The new priesthood. So according to your, um, let's look at the diagram here on your handout here. This orange handout. So the priesthood here on the top is said that, first of all, every man was a priest of his home. You know, that's why they built the altar like Noah. Then every firstborn and Esau wanted this blessing, right? Was the, received the priesthood. And then the next stage was that the Levites received, instead of the firstborn, the blessing of serving God. If that is clear, let me hear you say amen. So this priesthood was passed down by God, by divine inspiration to them. Now, look at the quotation here from Patriarchs and Prophets. And look what it says here. It says, in the earliest times, every man was the priest of his own household. Do you see that? In the days of Abraham, the priesthood was regarded as the birthright of the eldest son, the second. Do you see that? Now, talking about then at Mount Sinai, instead of the firstborn of all Israel, God said instead of the firstborn, the Lord accepted the tribe of Levi for the work of the sanctuary. Amen? So you see this transfer. It goes from the, um, the oldest, I'm mean, sorry, yeah, from the, the father was the first one, then the firstborn, and then the Levites. Now, out of the whole tribe of Levi, who was given the sacred priesthood? Let's look at um, verse 9 and 10. Chapter 3, verse 9. You know what the Bible says? And thou shalt give the Levites unto who? Aaron and to his who? Sons. Remember that. Aaron and his sons. They are wholly given unto him out of the children of Israel. And thou shalt appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall wait on their, what is that word? priest's office. So in other words, the Bible says that Aaron and his sons, that they were specifically named by God to carry the priesthood of the priestly office according to the Bible. Okay, now what were the rest of them supposed to do? Look at verses 6 to 8. And the tribe of Levi near and present, bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest, that they may minister unto him. So the rest of the tribe was to minister unto Aaron and the sons. And they shall keep his charge and the charge of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of the congregation to do the service of the tabernacle. And they shall keep all the instruments of the tabernacle of the congregation. So they were to take care of the congregation, 
the tabernacle and all the things that Aaron and his sons needed as they performed their priestly office. They were to support them in that. So look, look at your handout here. In Patriarchs and Prophets, again, it says, the, the quote, it says, the priesthood, however, was restricted to the family of Aaron. Aaron and his sons alone were permitted to minister before the Lord. The rest of the tribe were entrusted with the charge of the tabernacle and its furniture, and they were to attend upon the priests in the ministration. But they were not to sacrifice, to burn incense, or to see the holy things till they were covered. So Aaron and his sons had a sacred responsibility out of, and they had to be part, see Aaron and his sons were part of the tribe of Levi. That's what they came out of. Now look at the bottom of the page. Let me show the diagram, the priesthood. So first of all, we had every man was a priest. Then the firstborn was a priest as they got into a clan state. And then the Levites were given a priesthood, but especially Aaron and his sons. Aaron was the high priest, and his sons were the priests. And all the other Levites supported them in that ministry of the high priesthood and the priesthood of the tabernacle. If that's clear, let me hear you say amen. Okay, now, let's go to what happened after this priesthood. Turn to Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Daniel, in your Bibles, Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. This is a prophecy. It's called a 70 weeks prophecy. And in the back of your, your handouts your orange, is, a, is a diagram that ex explains this prophecy here. So you can kind of follow along as we go through the Bible of the 490 years. Now, days as a year. So 70 weeks represents 490 years. 69 weeks represents 483 years. So I know we, in prophecy seminars you may hear this, but let's go over this applying to the, what we've been studying about, the priesthood of all believers. It says, Know therefore, this is a prophecy to Daniel. God says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah. Now, who's the Messiah? Jesus, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, or so 69 weeks. So, from when the Jerusalem, the commandment that's going to go forth to build, rebuild Jerusalem, it was destroyed. From the beginning of that to the end, when Jesus will come, was 483 years. That's why you look at your handout here. In 457, the decree of Artaxerxes started. And then it went on to 27 AD. That's 483 years. When Jesus was, the word Messiah means anointed. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit when he was baptized in 27 AD. The decree to build Jerusalem went out in 457. 483 years later was 27 AD. Jesus was anointed and baptized exactly on time, beloved. Amen? And that's why he said, the, the time has come. He, always, he used to say, the time has come. What time? This prophecy time that I will be anointed by baptism to the Holy Spirit in 27 AD exactly, the time has come, beloved. Amen? Jesus fulfilled prophecy exactly, and he was exactly on time, according to the prophecies of Daniel. Now, in verse 26, know what the Bible says, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off 
Christ would be cut off or killed is another definition for cut off or destroyed, but not for himself, for us, and that's what he did. And look at verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. So after this prophecy of 69 years, 69 weeks, the last week is in your handouts here of seven years, starting in 27 AD plus seven years is 34 AD. Do you see that? For one week he will confirm the covenant of peace with his nation. He gave the Jewish nation seven weeks to repent and to turn to him. And that's why in 34 AD, Stephen was killed. And because of that, the Bible says persecution came upon all these saints and the gospel went throughout the world. And it left Jerusalem and it went out throughout the whole world. So the prophecy came true also at this time. But here's the point I want to make in verse 27. It's the Bible says that many for one week and in the, in the midst of the week, or the middle of that, the sacrifice of Christ, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation or the offerings to cease. So in 31 AD, Christ was to die as a sacrifice, according to the Bible. And in 31 AD, in the middle of this week, three and a half years after 27 AD, is 31 AD. In the middle of this week, he will cause the sacrifices, the offerings to cease. In other words, he's looking at the ceremonial law. It was done away with on the cross. The law of ordinances was done away with on the cross. That's why there's no sacrifices anymore that's being done. Now I want you to look at that quotation right below the ha- on this handout here. Desire of Ages. Notice what it says. Since the whole ritual economy was symbolic of Christ, you know the old system of killing the lamb? The lamb was Jesus Christ. It had no value apart from him, no value apart from Jesus Christ. When a Jew sealed the rejection of Christ by li- delivering him to death, they rejected all that gave significance to the temple and its services. So when they rejected Christ, they rejected the services. Its sacredness had departed. It was doomed to destruction. Listen to this. From that day, sacrificial offerings and the service connected with them were what? Meaningless. See, not only were the sacrifices that were done by the law of ordinances given by Moses, not only were the sacrifices done away with, but it says, it says the sacrificial offerings and the service, so everything was connected with it, connected with these offerings of the olden days, everything was connected, were meaningless. And on the bottom it says, when Christ was crucified, the inner veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, signifying that the great final sacrifice had been made and that the system of sacrificial offerings was forever at and what? End. Completely done. In other words, on the cross of Calvary, the law of carnal commandments was done away with, which included the Levitical priesthood. Are you following me? We had the priesthood began with the father. Then it went on to the firstborn. Then the priesthood it went on to the Levites, and Aaron and his sons. But Christ came and he died on the cross and the law of ordinances was nailed to the cross and it was done away, including the Levitical priesthood, including the priesthood. The priesthood was done away with on the cross, beloved. No more would there be an organized priesthood among the temple services anymore. It was completely done away with on the cross of Calvary. Now, what does that matter to us? Well, 
If the ironic, if the Levitical priesthood was done away with on the cross, then who became the new high priest? Aaron was the high priest passing down through his lineage. Who became the new high priest since the priesthood was done away with of Aaron and of the Levites? Turn to me to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. And I'd like to go and see what the Bible has to say this morning, beloved. Amen? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Notice the Bible says. So we fall into the line of the priesthood. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, For this man, I'm sorry, verse 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and, what is that word? High priest of our profession. Who? Christ Jesus. So at the cross, it was done away with. The law of corner ordinances was done away with. The Levitical priesthood at the cross was completely done away with, beloved. And the person who took over the high priesthood of, of Aaron was none other than Jesus Christ, beloved. Amen? And it's a holy high profession to be the high priest. And it's a very holy high profession to be even a priest also, to be a son of Aaron, right? Now when you turn me to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11 to 16, let's look at this. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11 to 16. What happened to the Levitical priesthood and thus the law of coronal commandments, the law of ordinances, the ceremonial law. What happened? Notice what the Bible says here. The Bible says in 7, verse 11 and 16. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, or the, the Levitical priesthood that we're talking about, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek, not be after the order of Aaron. In other words, if the Levitical priesthood was good in and of itself, and it was really good, why did God allow the priesthood of Melchizedek or Jesus Christ to take over the priesthood, the high priesthood of Aaron, and give it to Jesus Christ if it was perfect in the first place, right? Notice what it first says in 12. This, what happened? The Bible says in verse 12, for the priesthood being, what is that word? Change. In other words, the priesthood was changed. The law demanded that you could only be from the tribe of Levi. And it was only be of Aaron. But now Jesus Christ took over the high priesthood of Aaron and now is the new high priest, beloved, this morning, beloved. Amen? Because the law was changed, there is made, actually the priesthood changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the what? Law. Not the Ten Commandments law, but a change that the law had to be changed, done away with. The law of commandments is done away with, beloved. Why? Listen to this, verse 13. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaining to another tribe, of which no man give attendance at the altar. In other words, Jesus Christ did not come out of the tribe of Levi. What tribe did he come out of? Judah. Look at verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of what? Judah. See, the fact that Jesus Christ is a high priest goes con totally contradictory 
to the Levitical priesthood. You had to be of the tribe of Levi. If you weren't of that, you weren't considered a high priest or a priest. And for God himself to go against completely the law of commandments of ordinances, to put Jesus Christ out of the tribe of Judah when he's supposed to be out of the tribe of Levi, shows beyond a shadow of doubt that the the law of carnal ordinances was done away with. The ceremonial law was done away with. Now, if the priesthood of the sons of Aaron were done away with also, then who became the new priest? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. The Levitical priesthood was done away with and Christ came and he died on the cross of Calvary. And God, the Bible says here, that God himself made his son Jesus Christ to be the new high priest, which is a high and holy calling. Now, the whole Levitical priesthood was done away with at the cross. Jesus Christ is now the new high priest. And if Jesus Christ is the new high priest, then who is now, today, the new priest, according to the Bible? Let's see what the Bible says. The Bible says, And from Jesus Christ, verse 5, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and what, beloved? Has made us what? Priest unto God and his Father this morning, beloved. Amen? Do you see that, beloved? The Levitical priesthood of Aaron and his sons was done away with on the cross, and Jesus Christ became the new high priest. And who is it that became the sacred and high and holy calling of the priesthood, beloved? It is you this morning who are called by God to be holy priests of God this morning, beloved. Amen? You're called to be priests, to be ministers, to be pastors this morning, beloved. Not by man, but by God's word, his own mouth. You are called to be of the priesthood of all believers, to be a holy and high royal priest of God this morning, beloved. Amen? That is your calling. And every time God's people realized this calling, there was a revival and reformation within God's church. You look at the early church. The priesthood that existed at that time, they did not want the lay people to realize their sacred calling. During the days of Martin Luther in the Dark Ages, the Roman church did not want the lay people to realize their sacred calling. For after all, they enjoyed the power of being a priest, didn't they? They enjoyed the respect, the honor of being a priest. And could it be today that history has repeated itself and the people who do not study the word do not realize that God did away with the Levitical priesthood, made Jesus Christ the high priest, and has made you and me this morning holy and royal priests of God this morning. Do you believe what I'm saying? Let me hear you say amen. Amen? And there's so many texts. Look at 1 Peter. Turn me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, verse 5. Right after Hebrew, James chapter 2, verse 5. 
You also, he's preaching a message to the churches. Peter's preaching a message. You also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy, what is that word? Priesthood, beloved. A holy priesthood. You are priest, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Only the holy priesthood were allowed to offer the sacrifices. Not even the Levites could do that. Acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, not only a royal, what is that word? Priesthood. There it is again. A holy nation. God has called us out to be of the holy priesthood, the royal priesthood, that you are a minister of the gospel. There is no more Levitical priesthood. There's no more organized priesthood within God's church anymore. There's only a priesthood of all believers, beloved. Amen? Satan designed that God's people wouldn't realize this truth. And therefore, he blinded the eyes of many people not to realize this. Now, why is this so? How is it that we be called priests? Turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. How is it so? Now, Jesus Christ was passed on. The Bible clearly states that Jesus Christ is the high priest. The Bible clearly states that we are priests, those who believe, not the world, only those who believe. How is that so? That believing Christians become priests. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. The Bible says, Beloved, now, when we're converted, now are we the, what is that word? Sons of who? Sons of God. In other words, when you're converted, when you're a believer in, in Christ, the high priest, you become a son of God. Jesus Christ, the high priest. Now think about it. In order to be a priest, you have to be the son of who? Aaron. Are you following me? And when that Levitical priesthood was done away with, that's why Peter and John, they all understood. When it was all done away with, they knew in the end, when Jesus Christ was now the new high priest, what did it make them being sons and daughters of God? It made them to be what? Priests also. In order to be a priest, you must be a son or a daughter of God. How many of you are sons and daughters of God this morning? Let me see your hands. By right, when you believe that, then you become also of the priesthood of Jesus Christ this morning, beloved. Amen? Because you are a son and daughter. God has anointed you with a ministry, a calling. You are called by God for a specific ministry, a, a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood. You are kings and priests. Of God is not my words, beloved. This is the words of God from His Holy Spirit through the Word of God is mine, beloved. Amen. And Satan has blinded the eyes of God's people. Why? Because if he knows that every single one of you is a priest, but if you don't believe you're a priest, then why would you exercise your high priestly? Why would you exercise your priestly orders that God has given to you? Why would you exercise if you don't believe it, right? But if you would believe that God has called you, God can do a mighty work among his church and his people today, beloved. Amen? There will be another reformation in this world 
today. Now let's look at the life of Paul. Turn to Acts chapter 18, verse 3. Acts chapter 18, verse 3. What, what was it that Paul did? Now there are times he worked in the ministry, but there are a lot of times where he worked full-time at a job. What was his job? Look at Acts chapter 18, verse 3. Talking about Paul. Talking about how he was the same as Priscilla and Aquila. And because he was of the same craft, same occupation, he lived with them, abode with them, and wrought or worked. For by their occupation, their work, they were what? Tent makers. In other words, when Paul was in different places, he would do ministry, but there are other places where he worked as a full-time job, and his full-time job was actually making tents. Now today, ministers don't, work in another occupation. In fact, if they consider a minister work in another occupation, some believe that they're not even really ministers. But back then, the mindset was this, that they work in a full-time job, Paul did, and yet he was a minister at night and weekends. Now think about that. Paul wrote of any other writer the most words in the New Testament. He was a man that we would call the self-supporting worker. He worked a true self-supporting worker. He actually worked to support his hands to do the work of the gospel ministry. And they questioned him. In Galatians, they questioned him. That's why he said, I'm Paul, the apostle. He had to prove to these people. He said, you're not really an apostle. You work on your hands and everything. But he had to prove to people that he really was an apostle called by God, a priest of God serving him with all of his heart. You see, I really did it, probably didn't think it, but in his heart, he knew that he was a son of the high priest, that he was a priest of God. And beloved, this morning, the reason why God is not blessing our churches today is because God's people today don't really believe that they are truly priests of God anymore. But instead they believe that they are just regular lay people who really can't do anything at all. And has Satan come in and deceive God's people this morning is my question I asked you this morning. I believe he has. What? Let's look at the story here. Matthew chapter 9, verse 29. Turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 29. What did Jesus do after the blind men came to him for healing? Matthew chapter 9, verse 29. What did Jesus do after the blind men came in for, for healing? Came to him for healing. Look at verse 29. Jesus, they couldn't see. They couldn't understand. The Bible says, Then touch he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it what? Unto you. Jesus touched their eyes, their blind eyes, and he said to them, According to your faith, be it unto you. In other words, how much power you will receive is dependent upon how much you believe. Is that not true? For if you believe a little, you're going to receive just a little power. Is that not true? That's not how God works, right? That's faith, right? But for those of you who believe a lot, you receive a lot of power, amen? The power you receive is based upon what you believe this morning, beloved. If you believe a little, you're going to receive a little. 
If you believe a lot, you will receive a lot according to your faith, so be it unto you this morning. And beloved, how much do you really believe that your holy and royal priest of God is my question I ask you this morning. How far have we gone? Have we gone so far down that road that you feel like almost hopeless, like I could never be a pastor? I could, I, I could never be a pastor. I could be a never minister. Have I, just, have I come to a point where I really can't really do anything at all? I can sing special music and do children's story, but is that really what it means to be a holy and royal priest of God, beloved? Has Satan stolen our march and, and deceived us so bad that we've gone down that road that we really don't know where we're at and how to even get out where we're at? But I can tell you this. With Jesus as our high priest, there is hope for any one of us here this morning, beloved. Amen? Looking to Jesus, he can help us this morning. Let me tell you about the most powerful sermon I ever heard. This is the most powerful sermon. We had this meeting with all the pastors in this union. And I didn't expect too much from this speaker. And as I sat there, I was glued to this speaker. It was a powerful sermon. It was moving. It was stirring. I was moved in a mighty way. At the end, I could feel the presence of the Holy Ghost in that place. And I knew everyone could feel it. This is all ministers now, pastors, evangelists, church leaders. And when he finishes his sermon, it was such a moving, powerful sermon and, and illustration that I was moved to tears. I could feel the thickness of the Holy Spirit. I could only feel the Holy Spirit in my life really strongly. And it's a few times that I can remember. And that was one of them. And I remember that he finished... And he finished his sermon, and he just walked off, and he left. And almost like, he just left us hanging, like, why did he leave? And I could see that we were so convicted by the Holy Ghost that I fell down to my knees. And I looked around, there were ministers around me falling to their knees in repentance to our God. He didn't make any appeal. And as I looked around, and I looked on, I saw people, ministers of the gospel, standing up to that large auditorium, standing up all around the place, standing up in, without an appeal. I've never seen a sermon preached without an appeal where people were making stands for Jesus Christ, walking up as if there was an appeal. People were standing up like they were committed to God. And then I saw this, I saw people peeling out of the seats, and they're walking up to the altar. No one's on the platform. As if God had made an appeal without a man, beloved. Amen? That was the most, by far, the most powerful sermon I've ever heard in my whole life. I'll never forget that moment. And beloved, here's the most powerful part. Herb Larson, who preached that message, is not even a pastor. Not an evangelist. Herb Larson, who preached that message, is a lay person like you who has his own business and is a very successful businessman, but he believed that he, on the outside, not a priest, but in the inside, he believed that he's a holy and royal priest of God, beloved, this morning. Amen? And God moved in a powerful way, and I believe it on my heart that, beloved, 
There isn't one person here that's not capable, if you believe enough, that could preach a way more powerful sermon, ten times more powerful sermon than I could ever preach. I believe that you could do whatever, you could teach a more powerful Sabbath school class, or you could sing or whatever it is, or minister or save souls more than ten times more powerful than me, because if you would only believe, beloved, according to your faith, so be it unto you. But if you would only believe this morning, beloved, and do you believe this morning, beloved, amen? Do you really believe? According to your faith, so be it this morning. Our study of the lineage of the priesthood reveals that the priesthood began with every man, then it went to the firstborn, then according to the Bible went to the Levites with Aaron the high priest and his sons of the priests, and then on the back of your right here, the handout here, on the bottom, then it shows that Jesus Christ is now the high priest, right? And his sons, which is us, are also priests. And when God's people realize that we are all the priesthood of all believers, there's going to be a great revival and reformation in this world such as the world has never seen. See, the Reformation, if you study the Reformation, the people realized that they were the priesthood of all believers, that I'm a priest of God. It's not those people up there who are on the platform, who are running the sacred offices of the Roman Catholic Church. And when they realized that they broke away, and they realized that God could use them, not only as much, but even more, because they were faithful to God, but only if they would believe. And beloved, they believe with all their heart, and God moved in a mighty way. If every single one of you would believe, imagine the collective power within God's church, even in this church, small church, beloved. Amen? One person who realized the power of God in their life, imagine two, it multiplies exponentially. Ten people realize that you're a priest, a minister of God. It explodes, and this church will be a light to the world and to the community, beloved. Amen? You see, the teaching of a priesthood of all believers reveals the fact that God is not a respecter of persons this morning, beloved. God does not favor a certain group of, say, pastors over another group called laity, simply because we as pastors have a title of a position. God doesn't say, well, you have a title, therefore I'm going to bless you more. God is not a respecter of persons. He's fair, he's just, he believes in equality, beloved. Amen? And just because somehow you just manage to get a certain position or title because you got a degree or you know someone, does not mean that God's going to give you extra blessings more than another person, right, beloved? Because every single one of you is priest. And God gave you that power. But the problem is, we are the ones that are rejecting his power, beloved. Amen? That power is there. God pours it out. And we are not to blame God because he's not blessing me. Beloved, the only one to blame is me this morning and you this morning, beloved. Amen? The power is there. But according to your faith, what you believe, so be it unto you. This morning, it is this fairness and equality that makes our God so attractive that we want to love and to serve him for the rest of our life, beloved. Amen? That's the God I serve this morning. How about you? Amen? He's a loving, merciful, fair, and a God who believes in equality this morning. No respecter of person, the Bible says. So this morning, we need to reconsecrate our lives 
this morning. We need to draw nearer, still nearer to Jesus this morning, beloved. Amen? Amen. We need to come close to him that we may experience the power of God in my life and your life here this morning. I'm closing him in 301. Nearer, still, nearer.